Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we're releasing a bonus episode. This is my recent appearance on the Low Carb MD podcast, which was episode 283, which was the title, uh, just my name, so I don't need to repeat that. This was recorded on June 12th, 2023, and was hosted by Dr. Brian Lenskis and Dr. Tro Kalasian. You may remember uh, Dr. Tro from episode 322 of Boundless Body Radio. We interviewed him and his wife, Rosette, and also be looking out for a future episode with Rosette. We just interviewed her a few weeks ago and that episode is set to release in a few weeks. Okay, so this <laughs> this was really special for me. It, I, I always try to appreciate any time that I get to appear on somebody else's show. I, I think it's wonderful and I never would have assumed I would have been in the place where somebody would host me. And, and so I'm always very humbled. Um, to be on the Low Carb MD podcast was such a special occasion. It, to be on a show that you have followed for so many years. I've been learning from Brian and Dr. Tro for so long. They're some of the kindest people in the world. I've met them both in person. And this was just such a wonderful conversation. And it was, it was so, um, so just, I, I don't even have words. It was just really amazing to be a part of. In this episode, we talk about metabolism. I work on metabolic carts. We also talk about childhood obesity. Be sure to give them a follow. If you're listening to this show, guaranteed you probably are very familiar with the Low Carb MD podcast. Without further ado, here is my appearance on the Low Carb MD show. Welcome to the Low Carb MD Podcast. No one is beyond help. No one is beyond hope. As we have always said, we are bringing you medical information and cutting-edge science, but none of this is medical advice. Please seek out input from your own doctor. Hello and welcome back to the Low Carb MD Podcast. Troll, we're together again, man. It's been... It's been a crazy time lately. We've been too busy, huh? It's it's uh, we're we're look. This is going to be fun. This is somebody I've met in person. Went on his podcast, Boundless 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 Body Radio, right? And Boundless Body Podcast. Uh, we have an awesome, awesome guest today. Nicest guy. Uh, I haven't had a chance to meet his beautiful wife, who he works with. They are both personal trainers who uh, have been using metabolic uh, health to help their clients get better. And we first connected several years back where he was telling me about uh, programs he was doing um, in a sort of a gym environment, getting people healthy, getting people to lose you know, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. And uh, he, after, you know, the pandemic certainly changed the, uh, the gym landscape and the fitness landscape up. And he's been uh, still helping his community, helping people, uh, through personal training, both him and his wife. And I'm just awesome to have you here. Casey Ruff, thank you so much. Dude, it's such an honor to be with you guys. I'm so grateful to have met both of you. Um, Brian, I met you at Low Carb Salt Lake in my neighborhood uh, in 2022. And Tro, to be able to host you and your wife, Rosette, and to meet you both in person at Low Carb Denver was just really special to me. You guys are amazing. She's a lot shorter um, in person than she is <laughs> <laughs> on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> And Tro, I just, I have to say your presentation at Low Carb Denver was originally supposed to be about food addiction. And the day before you shifted course and presented on something completely different and like a few speeches right after Lane Norton, you dropped 
the mic, dude, that was insane. It was such a cool presentation. And I so much respect um, what you had to do to present that. And, and your message was very strong and it was a wonderful presentation. So I just, I can't thank you enough for doing that. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely put, uh, I feel bad the, the position I put, uh, the host of that event in, you know, to change, uh, to change the title up, change things up last minute, you know, this, the difficulties, the strains it puts on CME. Um, so I realized that it was a, uh, you know, it was a little bit cavalier. I wish I could have gone back and not done it, but I don't have any regrets. So <laughs> good you know, for you. I'm it was fantastic. You it. it was fantastic. So, you know what, Brian, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, you have tri systems over in the San Diego. Well, now you're going to be in Arizona. So who knows if you're going to have a both. You know, trainer both. there. I'll be, you know? I'll be in both. Yeah. Well, there's a guy named, uh, what's his name? Ben Bikikio. Yeah, he's in Arizona. Not too far from me. But yeah, there's so many good people out there. And, and so it's so it's such a critical part of the equation. You, you know, know, like getting people moving, you know, getting people moving, doing functional movements, just simple things, Pilates, you know, these are like critical things. So Casey, how, you know, how did you get started? Clearly, you know, you got your personal training certification a number of years back. You know, I know you've gone keto, carnivore, and all of the above, right? How did you get started interested in the space of just wellness? And yeah, then um, how did you find metabolic health? You know, how did you find that rabbit hole? Yeah, it's a great question. So I did get certified as a personal trainer in 2007. I had always been interested in sports and cycling and heart rate training and all that stuff. And so when a, when a big corporate gym opened up near me, I started watching the personal trainers and thought like, boy, this would be fun. They're communicating with their clients, seem to be getting good results and designing programs and all of that really appealed to me. Um, and you mentioned getting into metabolism. My role at that gym was literally the metabolic specialist. So I was in charge of running a program where we were using metabolic carts to measure people's metabolic rates. So you would either come in and do what we would call a resting assessment, where I would measure the number of calories that you would burn just being yourself and resting in a comfortable chair um, and show you where your baseline metabolism was. And then we could also do what we called an active metabolic assessment, which is more, you know, what you would classically see as like a VO2 test where somebody would be on a treadmill or a bicycle and they would be ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And we could measure not only the number of calories that you were burning at different intensities, which would always be higher the harder you worked. Um, but our machine would also be able to measure the difference between oxygen and carbon dioxide and how those were exchanged in the body, which would tell us the percentage of fat versus the percentage of carbohydrates that you would burn at rest or you know, doing certain activities. And so we learned pretty early on that we could recommend a certain amount of calories for somebody to be consuming. And if they ate a certain amount of calories um, and worked out a certain amount of calories, and there was like a difference between the two, we would tell people like, okay, if there's a 500 calorie gap between the calories you burn in a day and the calories you consume in a day, over the course of one week, that would equal 3,500 calories, which is ironically is one pound. And so you would just lose one pound every single week, as long as you stayed on that type of program. And we just, you know, we were able to measure all that kind of stuff, but nobody was able to succeed. Like people could lose weight in the beginning, but over time they would cease to lose weight and their metabolic rates would slow down. We were able to measure all of that. And we just thought that people were really terrible at, you know, 
taking our advice by reducing their calories and burning more calories in the gym. And it wasn't until further along in my career that I learned that nutrition would be a huge part of how we could manipulate somebody's metabolic rate. And not only to teach them how to burn more calories naturally on their own, but also how to shift the metabolism from being more carbohydrate dominant to more fat dominant. And that had all kinds of benefits for people. People were able to lose weight much more effectively. They were able to maintain or even increase their resting metabolic rate, um, very opposite to if you did a calorie restricted diet where your metabolism would come down. If you ate the right way, your metabolism would actually increase doing nothing else, just being yourself every single day, you would just burn more calories, which was amazing. Um, and so we were able to do that. We were able to help athletes um, who were doing different events. We all know that if an athlete is doing like a marathon or a bike race over time, they would have really good energy, but they would bonk. They would hit the wall, as we say, which is basically just running out of the very teeny tiny amount of stored carbohydrate that you have in the body. So if we could teach people to save more of that carbohydrate and burn more of the fat, which we have thousands and thousands of calories of stored fat that we can use for energy, then people would be able to do much better in endurance races. And that's, that was my experience as a cyclist as I was able to, you know, go out on longer rides and not need as much food and be able to ride at pretty quick tempos and, and yeah, just never experienced that bonking sensation. So that was kind of my entryway into eventually discovering low carbohydrate and keto diets. And that ended up shifting more towards a program that we were running, uh, that was geared more toward weight loss. Yeah. That's all awesome stuff. And, and, you know, it's really interesting to me. I, I've had some cyclists who gain weight when they're cycling because they carb load like crazy when they're going on long rides and stuff. And then we go, well, let's look at your continuous glucose monitor and see what they're doing with exercise. And when they do the most demanding rides, their sugars go the highest. And and we've, we have type ones noticing that too, that their sugars are actually going up during exercise, even though the muscle's putting a demand on, on the sugar in the system, right? Yeah, that continuous glucose, excuse me, the continuous glucose monitor profile probably looked like a Tour de France stage, really steep up and down and up and down and up and down. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I've actually helped a type one diabetic with a very extreme endurance event. It was a 200 mile bike ride from uh, Logan to Jackson Hole, and you know we had some challenges along the way. But as long as he was eating a low carbohydrate diet and we were watching his glucose numbers, he was able to ride perfectly well for over 200 miles in one day. It was pretty amazing. So. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that the science that you're doing and your observation and, you know, looking at how the general guidance was incorrect for so long. Yeah, it was really fascinating. I mean, the thing that really kind of got my attention really shifted towards the low carbohydrate space was again, why, why is it that somebody is eating more protein and more fat? Why are they burning more calories? Even if they're not eating as many calories, they're telling me they're really like, you know, full and satiated and they, they really don't want to eat any more calories than they do. And then what really changed my mind about all of this was when people started doing intermittent fasting, when people started doing intermittent fasting by the nature of the thing, they weren't eating again, very many calories yet their metabolic rates would come back 500 calories, 600 calories, 700 calories higher than where it should have been. They were just naturally burning so many more calories. And I was like, wait a second, why is it that if somebody restricts their calories, it drops their metabolism, but if somebody does intermittent fasting, it increases 
their metabolism. Like it broke my brain to try to understand what was going on. And it was really being introduced to the low carbohydrate world. And especially the work of like Jason Fung, who was explaining that like when your body finds stored fat, there's no need for the body to reduce its metabolic rate. It can actually increase. And so when I learned and understood that we could leverage, you know, that information to help people get much better results. It was quite amazing when you've, you guys will perfectly understand this when you've been practicing for years and years and years, and you think all your people suck, they're not following your advice. They're, they're being unhealthy and it never works. You just, it sucks. You just don't feel that good going to your job. And then when you find a way to help somebody where like, pretty much anything you were doing before wasn't working. And now you can hardly find anybody who this is working for. It completely changes your job satisfaction. It's just, you go to, you go to bed happy, you wake up happy, you have energy, like you get to actually help people, which is why any of us are doing what we're doing anyway. It's amazing. Yeah. I think like one of the big uh, things that, that sort of caught your attention, it sounds like was, you know, we, you were taught one thing in the sort of personal training, exercise science world. And yet before your eyes, other things are happening. And, uh, you know, we're taught about calories and very, it's not really until the last like 15 years where we've understood the impact of those calories on our metabolism. So like, for example, um, we, about 10, 15 years ago, we realized that protein has a high, higher thermic effect. Our body, you know, takes in those uh, uh, protein calories and releases heat in the metabolism. And so our body doesn't use it as efficiently. So we know that, you know, eating protein can rev up metabolism by maybe 10 to 15%, depending on the, you know, total energy intake. The other thing that we found out lately, very recently is, that uh, low carb eating raises metabolism by about 200 calories per day, right? So now we have these two things put together. Hey, look. Yeah, and also, Troy, the great one, uh, Ben Bickman just posted something yesterday showing that lowering insulin has a, it has an inverse relationship with uh, metabolic rate. So lowering your insulin down, your metabolic rate goes up. So all these things kind of come together and you go, oh, okay, maybe. You know, it is about what you're eating. You can't, you can't say 2000 calories of gummy bear is going to be the same effect as 2000 calories of salmon. Like that, that's when we start looking at the metabolic effects on insulin, on cortisol and all the stress hormones and all that. And also, you know, the importance of exercise also just from a calming the nerve standpoint of getting, you know, your frustrations out and not sitting there, you know, stewing all night or whatever. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and coming back to that, you know, metabolic metabolic rate and sort of seeing that play out right in front of you, Casey, you know, what we've learned, you know, in 2018 was that low carb, lowering your insulin, lowering your carbohydrates, right, results in that increase in uh, uh, by 200 calories a day. So just by lowering your carbs, increasing the fat a little bit, increasing the protein a little bit, right, you can actually burn about 400 calories more per day. Now, just this past week, just this past week, in the past two weeks, we've seen that over the past 100 years of metabolism research, that the metabolism of the general population has dropped by about 250 calories per day. <laughs> okay? And, and what did they write? The reason was, what did they write? The reason was, they said the reason is probably due to the carbohydrate insulin model, okay? Probably because we're adding more processed carbs and get this, they wrote seed oils, 
when we're oxidizing seed oils, it's less expensive than saturated fat. Like, and there's not as much, uh, it's more efficiently metabolized, so to speak. So there's a lot of things coming together and you, you know, in terms of the science and the scientific literature, but here you are, you're seeing it in your like lab on your metabolic cart. And so what do you, like how many patients did it take for you to see this happen? Now we have the data, but we didn't have the data five years ago when you were doing this or, you know, before the pandemic. So how many people did it take for you to say, well, wait a second, something is different here. (laughs) Tro, I'm a really slow learner. So it was way more people than it should have been. <laughs> it was way too many years for me to catch on to some of this stuff. But you're right. We were seeing it in front of us. Like I, I even did a test once on somebody who came back from the Biggest Loser contest. She was on TV. She did the contest. When we measured her metabolic rate after she did a, a terribly calorie-restricted diet and was working out six hours every single day, her metabolic rate was almost a 1,000 calories lower than what it should have been for somebody her same age, height, weight, and gender. And it's like, no wonder all the Biggest Loser contestants always gained all the weight back. And when they did the scientific studies, their metabolic rates remained suppressed for years and years and years afterwards. It's, it's a shame. We're just... We're really short-sighted when we think, what can we do to lose weight? We look at calories and it's just really short-sighted to say that, okay, I'm just going to reduce the calories that I eat. And then I'm going to increase the calories that I'm expending by doing, especially like really kind of moderate to high intensity cardio where people are like huffing and puffing and breathing hard. They don't realize that not only are they burning a ton of carbohydrates, they're teaching their body to use carbohydrates as the main fuel source. They're also teaching their bodies to become more efficient, more efficient. That sounds great. If you're running a marathon, being really efficient means you can use your calories pretty well through the course of a four-hour marathon. If you have weight to lose and fat to lose, you don't want efficiency. You want to create inefficiency. You want to teach your body to burn and burn and burn more calories. And people don't think that like whatever you're doing today is going to have an effect on what is going to happen in the future. If you lower your metabolic rate, you are literally creating the environment, the perfect environment to gain weight. And every time I hear somebody around my lake, huffing and puffing, running around the lake, burning a bunch of calories because clearly they want to lose weight. I just want to stop them and shake them and be like, yo, like you are making your body gain weight in the future. I can guarantee it. Slow down, ease off. Let's change your eating in a different way so that you don't have to burn calories through exercise. Let's flip the script. Let's flip that equation and teach your body to burn more calories all the time, just being yourself. It's such a better way to go. It's so much more sustainable. People don't have hunger. They feel great. They don't need to be doing crazy hard exercise all the time. I'm a personal trainer. I get paid to make people do exercise. You know what I mean? It's just, it, we're so short-sighted with it. It sucks. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, um, you know, I, I want to talk about exercise and I know Brian feels the same way I do. He, he even hinted at it. Just now, he was like, exercise is a mental health tool. He was like, basically, you know, that was his thing. But but why do you think we're short-sighted? Maybe, Brian, I want to, you know, do you mind if, like, you tackle this one? Why do you think we're so short-sighted about exercise as a society? Like, you know, we sort of want to kill ourselves. And Yeah, I think there's two extremes on that. Some people hate exercise. They're like, I'm just not going to do it. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I don't want to be healthy, but I don't want to exercise. And then you have the other ones who say, 
I want to eat whatever I want. So I'm going to exercise like crazy. So I can eat whatever I want. So when you put those two things together, it really makes a difference. It's just hard. It's a, it's a mental thing for people. And it's just like anything. Like we think I just have to work harder and harder and then it will happen. So they'll just push themselves harder and harder. Then they get muscle breakdown or hurt themselves or, you know, they, 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 they want to be like that model on TV. And some of us just aren't going to have that physique, but I think there's just a mindset there. There, there have been camps. And what do you mean model on TV? We got Casey rough right here. Yeah, no, we got Casey right here. We saw your <laughs> he's picture. A, he's a, you know, model on the zoom. You know? Yeah. And, and so that's it. I think people think you have to work out when you hear someone like Ted Damon goes, yeah, I work out 10 minutes a day. And you go, how can that possibly be? When Ben Bikikio first talked about that, I go, this guy's nuts. There's no way you could work out 15 minutes. And so it's figuring out, I think, what works for you. And and, and I've seen it, Troy, and you've seen it too. Uh, we've seen people who are super fit that eat zero carbs and they work out like crazy doing CrossFit three hours a day and their sugars are through the roof. Their cholesterol's crazy and and the stress hormones are through the roof. It's like, well, if you chill out a little bit, you'll do better. You got to step back a little bit. Give your, your body wants you to survive and you're trying to, you, you're putting your body in a panic mode all the time. So it's just kind of figuring out that balance like Casey's saying. I totally agree. So why do you, why, you know, Casey, why do you think we have like this short-sighted view of diet and exercise? Why do you think like people have that? You know, you sort of hinted at that. Great question. I think everything Brian said was spot on. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I also think there's a component of money in my industry. Um, you know, if I'm promoting that idea that like, I don't work out more than about 20 or 30 minutes a week. I walk, I don't run. I go on easy bike rides and have fun and go paddleboard. And like my lifting literally takes no longer than 20 or 30 minutes a week. If you promote that idea, that's not likely to make a lot of money. Whereas if I'm making a program that says I can get you fantastic results in 60 days or 90 days or whatever, and pay me to do this, and I'm going to calorie restrict you and put you through exercise, that will work temporarily. But the problem is you won't be able to sustain it. It's not possible and it has nothing to do with your willpower. It's just that is not sustainable. You're going to crash your metabolic rate and your results are going to reduce. And the person at the end of that program is going to be terrible. They're going to feel like they failed again. You know, they signed up. But then up they'll come back to you again. Second, first. Exactly. Yeah, you got repeat exactly. business because they're going to gain their weight. Then they come back. Okay, I, I was doing great with you. I'm going to come back and do it again. Okay. Remember, remember last January, I was doing so well. Like maybe I just ran out of willpower. So I'm going to call that Casey guy again. He's going to put me on this program yeah. and all these meal plans. Maybe he's going to sell me supplements and all of these exotic, sexy looking things. <laughs> it just doesn't. It doesn't make any money if you tell people the truth of like all you need to do is reduce or eliminate carbohydrates eat lots of fat and protein you know be smart about how you lift weights um i think that's a great reason to hire a personal trainer is to show you good form and good technique and that kind of thing so that you build a skill set that literally you could buy a set of bands on amazon that cost 30 bucks you could walk to the park once a week and crush yourself with a workout that's really challenging to the muscles, not necessarily you huffing and puffing and, you know, doing high cardio, you're doing strength training. That's really effective. It teaches your body to increase its muscle mass, which also increases its metabolism. So that you're burning more calories all the time. Like if you do that, and again, you change the diet, you you're done. Like you're kind of out of the system. You don't need fitness professionals 
you don't need meal plans. You just live really simply and enjoy your life and take all the time that you're spending inside a gym and go do something fun. Go do something enjoyable with your family. Go on walks. Go appreciate nature. It's just such a better way to live, man. It's it's a total game changer. I, I do think there's a huge component of money and selling people things that they don't need uh, to, to promote the idea of calories in and calories out. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. It's a sort of a system. And, and coming back to... You know, it's a system of profit and, and taking advantage of vulnerable people. Now, thank goodness uh, medicine doesn't do that, Tro. <laughs> oh, it's a mess. It's even worse. Uh, because, because you know, people are already wary of the supplement and sort of the, the gym bro culture, right? But, like, they should be just as weary when it comes to medicine, uh, when it comes to chronic disease at the least. But I want to come back to the point of exercise. And I think you guys hit – both of you hit the nail on the head here so well – which is exercise is a mental health tool, exercise is a muscle building tool, you know, an overall, you know, health tool, cardiovascular health tool, bone building tool. Other than that, it's community what does it have? You, you know, know, some community if you work out in classes, you know, and you know, all those there, there's so many important things. And the other thing that I didn't mention that is on my mind uh, is we live in a microwave culture where people go, okay, I'm going to work out really hard. I'm going to lose all my weight in two weeks and then I'm going to be perfect. And then I won't have to, you know, and so it's a, this mindset of just put me on a drug and, and let me lose weight quickly. I don't care if I gain it all back later. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And the other thing, Casey, I was, I was wondering, I'd be really intrigued um, to see what's happening with people's uh, metabolic rate on GLP ones. I don't know if you've come across that where people are, are using the injections to lose weight and, and, uh, you know, we know that they're losing muscle mass and adding on more fat cells and maybe they can oxidize the fat a little better. But over time, I think it's going to be a losing battle, especially if you're it's almost like you're doing a starvation diet because you, you, your uh, your body goes into the stress mode. And what do you think, Tro? I think do you think there's going to you know, like effects on metabolic rate dropping. If you're losing muscle mass, you have to lose metabolic rate. Uh, we've seen, you know, we've seen. So the, the worst possible long term I'm talking about. Yeah, so we've seen people long term on the medication preserve muscle mass uh, if if they exercise regularly, uh, and if you are already on a, we've seen the opposite. You know, people came to me uh, and I recommended against the drug or whether I recommend, and they went out, got it. Some doctor prescribed them more than you know, they should have been taking, were nauseous and vomiting. It literally ended up in the hospital, already eating a poor diet, not addressing food addiction. And I'm like, you better get in here, you know, and we get them in and we measure their muscle mass down like 10 pounds of muscle mass, right? 10 pounds of muscle mass, like between the six months she came, she left and came back. I mean, so I think I've seen both extremes uh, I, I would tell people you better be cautious. If you're eating a, you know, a, a junk diet and you just eat less of it, right? You're in for some pain in the long run. What do you think? Yeah. Am I off? I so so that's a great question. So in in uh, 2020, um, my program was basically again I was measuring metabolic rate, which means I was standing next to a treadmill with somebody wearing a mask with concentrated respirations. 
breathing very heavily. So my program was actually shut down in March, even before the gym closed down. And then when the gym finally closed down, um, we, we were placed on unemployment and had to start our own company. So I lost access to metabolic carts before I was able to measure people who are going on, on these medications. And again, I'm, I'm not a doctor like you guys. You guys know this stuff a lot more than I do. But the way I understand it is these drugs work by decreasing your appetite. And so, yeah, you can lose weight. But I'm seeing a lot of people in the same kind of boat where they're losing a lot of lean mass. My dad and I were just having a conversation about this over lunch where one of his friends just started one of them. And he said, well, he's losing a lot of weight. And I said, you know, fine, but watch him. Watch him over the next few months and years and see what happens. I'm willing to bet my career that this person's health is going to kind of slowly decline. Maybe in just kind of like weird ways. Like maybe, you know, he's losing muscle mass or maybe he's not playing golf as often. He doesn't have as much energy. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not comfortable saying that these things are going to um, really help out in the long term. And the recent recommendations, I believe was for the American Pediatrics um, Association or whoever the, the group, the group that said by age two, you should be having nutritional counseling. If you are expressing obesity by age 12, you should be prescribed Ozempic and some of these other medications. And by 13, you can qualify for bariatric surgery. Uh, holy smokes. Like, I, I don't think so. I heard a podcast where what they were kind of explaining. Failure. Dude, what, is what a systemic, systemic failure. Yeah. I, I listened to a mainstream podcast that I, I've listened to literally five times because in this podcast, the, the, the guest who's speaking is saying, we have a huge obesity problem. This obesity problem wasn't that big of a deal in the 60s, but then in the 70s and 80s, it was starting to increase. And we started to do studies. Like they went to school districts, and in one school district, they told everybody to do everything that they thought at the time would be best for these kids' health. So more exercise, more fruits and vegetables. And the other school district, they didn't do anything as the control, and there was no change between the two. So from that, they learned that lifestyle is not a factor in obesity. It is simply a genetic thing. And it's such a problem that we need to start to address this early in life. I, dude, I couldn't believe my ears. Literally, I listened to this thing five times thinking like, okay, no way you can tell that story so well and get it so wrong. Like, what the hell else do you think was going wrong at the time? Like the seed oils, like you mentioned, sugar everywhere, carbohydrates everywhere. Like, don't you think there was something else going wrong? Like when I pull up my like Formula One history book that shows pictures of the crowds in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there's no obesity. Nobody's obese. Like what happened to their kids? They all of a sudden like genetics flipped on them and now they have obesity. It's not a genetic problem. It's ridiculous. So I, I agree with you. I'm a little scared that people who are really you know, sick of dealing with their health issues are going to turn to yet again, another quick fix that is not going to promise to really help anybody. It sucks. I, I think the biggest harm, and Brian, you tell me what you think about this. The biggest harm to this medication is doctors accepting insurance and agreeing to a seven minute visit, right? Doctors being lazy, uncaring, uh, not looking into the root cause, right? It, these drugs have been used for diabetes for 10 years, 15 years, okay? They have positive cardiovascular outcomes. I have nothing against these drugs. These drugs are better than the other class of drugs we've had in diabetes, right? The biggest problem with this medication is the fact that doctors are going to hand it out in seven minutes. They're not going to ask patients, are you managing your stress? How are you managing stress-induced eating? How are you managing boredom? 
How do you handle social situations? Do you have cravings? Do you need help managing your cravings? You know, can we get change the food that you're eating? Can we talk to your family so they could cook better? Right? All of these important things doctors are going to completely ignore. So the biggest harm of this medication, you know, besides the fact that the so, you know, social media and and you know, the the media's the mainstream media's like making it into the something that it's not. It's not a miracle is that doctors will do the lazy thing. They'll write a script and they'll blame the patients when they fail. Look, you failed another thing, right? I mean, Brian, am I wrong here? It's the same, I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, really a statin drug. Like they go, oh, you don't have to change your diet here. Here's a statin that'll absolve you of all sin, right? And so that's a big problem. Insulin too, insulin too. Yep. I mean, so many doctors out there go, oh, you know, tell Dr. Lentz because it's screwed off. Here, eat whatever you want and I'll give you more and more insulin. They put them on U500. They're on massive dose of insulin. They're gaining 80 pounds. They can't walk. And you start looking at that. Like, you know, that's why it's frustrating when I hear Stories like yours, Casey, I, I hear it a lot where they, you know, you're helping people and then they go, okay, we have a pandemic, we're going to lock down the gym. And so all those people are now eating and drinking and smoking and gaining weight and, you know, doing all the the, the horrible things for themselves. And you could have helped them and decrease the risk long-term, not just right now, but we're talking about long-term. We're talking about, you know, for the next, for their lifetime of getting that tool. And, and the other thing that's that's crazy, and I, I think you probably saw it throw that, uh, your friend Michelle Obama's come out with a, a fruit drink now for kids that's going to cure obesity. And you're like, a fruit a fruit juice? It's like, what? it doesn't even meet your own guidelines that you set up for schools. And what we knew was happening is when they changed the school the school food, they were, were so bad that the kids just went across the street to Taco Bell and McDonald's and ate. And they ate French fries and drank Cokes. And of course, you don't see a benefit because they're, they're not educated. You're just saying, this is what we're offering you. And so, you know, there's so much like that that you see the WIC program and all these things where it's just all processed food. There's no real food. And uh, and luckily, I'm not in New York, bro. Do you want to talk about <laughs> what you guys are doing? Well, you guys have Tofu well, Tuesday. Well, let's now. just talk about, you know what? I think it's important to talk about this. The, the, so, you know, there's this new fruit juice that basically came out, which is half sugar, half sweetener, half, you know, uh, coloring and some real fruits in it. You know, I, I like... Here's the problem with it. it. On its face value, why can't kids drink water, right? On its face value, it's like, why can't kids drink water, right? And so um, it's terrible. Another way of looking at it is, well, what about the kids that are drinking Gatorade and grape soda, right? So, I mean, maybe it's slightly better than where people are at and and maybe they'll resonate to – uh, you know, a, a figure like Michelle Obama and say, maybe we should, you know, not have the, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the soda and the, the, the Gatorade. Right. And maybe we should try this, you know, but I, I think ultimately, you know, kids have drink water for how long, you know, why can't they drink water? Right. And then, no, I think, I think in all of our childhoods, like we couldn't go out and play for like 30 minutes at a time without making sure that we had, you know, the fruit snacks and the juice and stuff like that. Otherwise we would have just like keeled over and died. Right. That was our experience. <laughs> you know, you know we, mean, we'd run over and drink out of the hose back in the day. Yeah. That's what I'm drink saying. Hose, you know? You're happy. But well, there you go. But so, so <laughs> I don't know, like, I think, you know, I think it's just a marketing ploy really. You know, I, so I, you know, I, I, at the face value, what is this? This is something like it may, these people may have sort of benign interests. I don't know. I don't know how to tell, but you know, I don't want this for my kids. I don't want this for any kid that I care about. 
right? Any kids that care about, I wouldn't want them to have this. So, you know, I don't, I think it's a huge miss. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think about, you know, kids nutrition, Casey? I'm just curious, you know, like you mentioned the AA, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, sort of, we're talking about Michelle Obama, we're talking about these kids getting drugs and surgery. What do you think, you know, what, what would be your, you know, what are your thoughts about how we're treating this and, and where are we failing and what can we do? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It is all about money. Like, obviously, like without snacks and needing again, like the juice at halftime for soccer, like, give me a break. Like these kids are fine. We all played all the time outside with our friends roaming the neighborhood. Like, remember, like if you came in at like four in the afternoon, your parents would be like, the hell are you doing here? Get out of here. Go play. Get gone. You didn't have snacks or treats or any of that stuff. It's just to make money. And, you know, it's, it's been really fun on our journey of owning our business and starting our podcast, um, which again, we've been fortunate enough to host uh, Utro and, and Rosette and Brian, we'd love to host you as well at some point. And I've been able to interview several parents, you know, carnivore parents, they're low carbohydrate parents. And I asked them, it's one of my favorite questions to ask, like, okay, in this world, there's sugar everywhere. You can't get away from it. You send your kids off to school. Maybe they go to their friend's house. You don't have control over what they're going to eat. How do you do it? Is it impossible? Because a lot of parents will just throw up their hands and say, nope, can't do this. There's sugar everywhere. They, the kids throw tantrums. And so we need to give them snacks and treats. And these parents, man, they've got it sorted out. They have figured out that if their kids are eating mostly protein and lots of meat, they kind of like are okay. And these kids are full and satiated and they pay attention in school and their performance in sports is like way better. This like Delta, this gap between these like kind of carnivore ish kids versus the normal population is just getting wider and wider. And I have found that even for the kids, it really becomes not much of a sacrifice. Like they enjoy what they eat. I've heard of kids having better skin or they do enjoy that they're, they're dancing better and their, their coaches and dance are like, wow, you're doing so great. And they understand that diet is related to that. And, you know, they might have a, a snack here or there and they might have a treat here or there, but they notice how it makes them feel. We treat kids like they're these stupid, dumb idiots, or they're like a different species than adults. And they need kid foods. Like it's ridiculous. They need the same foods that we do. They will thrive on those foods. And I, I witness some of these kids doing so much better. One of my clients is a 15 year old kid. He is a national motocross champion over the years. I've been able to train him and help him to get really strong. And we talk about these kinds of things all the time. And I don't tell him to eat a specific diet, but I recommend like, dude, you should get lots of protein. Like how much meat did you have today? How many eggs did you have this week? And when he does nothing else but reduces sugar, you should see this kid's focus. He, he's able to do hard intervals that really help him with his motocross training. He's nose breathing the whole time, pushing a prowler sled down the street, up and down for like two minutes with 30 second breaks. And he's just laser focused like a savage. And he performs really well on the track. And so as far as kids go and how to manage this, as parents, you know, you have control. You can do things. You can provide good snacks, if anything, like have meat sticks and jerky on hand and let the kids choose, have some autonomy and choose whatever snacks they like and just make sure all the snacks are good choices. And, you know, maybe that would be fruit or maybe there are some sweet things here and there, but it's not necessary. And again, I think the kids understand and are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And they choose the healthier foods in the end. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a truth. A lot of kids they'll say, "Gosh, I feel terrible when I eat certain foods," and they they know. But if you eat it all the time, you never know, right? Yeah, if you're eating terrible stuff and you just feel tired and grumpy, and 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 you know, I was just thinking about uh, I was looking at the numbers, and and Troy, you could correct me if I'm incorrect, but I was looking at the if you go back to the '50s, autism rates was like one in fifty thousand. Now they're saying it's one in twenty-two and one in eight in California. I mean, that those are crazy statistics. And you go, well, we have to, like, what is it? Is it diet, nutrition? Is it other factors? Is it, you know, and it's just an incredible thing when you start looking, it's like, we're getting sicker and sicker and we have more uh, chronic disease than we've ever had. Like auto, like the stuff I look at, I never knew any kids with peanut allergies when I, well, I'm way back before you guys, but back then no one had peanut allergies. You never heard of asthma. Maybe one or two kids would have it. Now it seems like everyone's got it. And it's uncommon for kids not to be on some kind of med already when they're nine, 12, you know, and we're talking about surgery in these kids already. And it's like, man, it's pretty wild. Will you guys let me do a uh, five minute sort of diatribe on this topic? Oh, Troy, you can do a diatribe. Yeah, go, man. Okay. Five minutes. Sorry, Casey. I'm starting the timer right now. When I I was a third year resident, uh, sorry, third year medical student doing my pediatric rotation, Brian. Um, I was going through the physiology of autism. I was so, you know, like, uh, you know, it was such a prominent topic in my pediatric rotation. I was looking into it and I was looking through the data and I wrote out the mechanism for which maternal diabetes would lead to an increased risk of autism, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the high... Uh, insulin will be linked with uh, higher testosterone, will be linked to higher uh, pulsatology NRH. I mapped it all out. I went to the director, okay, of the pediatric, the department director, and I said, I, you know, I just can't get this. It's not in the literature. I believe diabetes, maternal diabetes is linked to, you know, autism. You know, how do we test this? He's like, you know, there's this autism bank, the data bank, you know, and you can, you know, explore those data sets. They have pretty big data sets. You can explore them. And I'm a third year student. I'm like pissing in my pants just being on the metabolic ward, right? And um, I emailed the data bank. First of all, the the I remember this because it was the uh, the chief resident who I was talking to at the time, along with the department head. I said, guys, you know, I I know this sounds crazy, but what if there's this link? You know, and she looked at me, she laughed out loud. Like I remember her laugh. Okay. And she said, if there was that link, it would have been found already. Okay. And she's like, there's no way that this could be true. And I was like, but look, just look at the physiology. Like I mapped it out. Anyway, I emailed the data bank the next day and they're like, look, you know, if you're, if you don't, can't get a resident and a, and a director to sign off on an IR, get an IRB approval, we can't get you the data you're looking for. And I wrote them an email explaining them the, you know, the mechanics, the physiology, whatever. And I didn't pursue it. And to this day, I regret it. Six years later on the front cover of JAMA, boom, there it is. Two and a half times the increased risk of autism with maternal diabetes. And if you have obesity versus being normal weight, that risk goes up. If you have obesity and diabetes type two, that risk goes up even more. If you have obesity, type two diabetes, type one diabetes, that goes up even more. So, and now there have been like six studies linking maternal, you know, diabetes to autism. 
And to this day, I remember not pursuing that and, you know, letting myself be discouraged from the uh, chief resident and the, you know, the uh, department head who told me, you know, Tro, yeah, we think it's a cool idea, but we're not going to support you. You know, and one of them just laughed at me. So that's my five minute diatribe. So Unreal. if you're listening to this and you're you out did there, it for it, Tro, pretty good, man. You know, if you're if you're listening to this and you're out there, follow your gut. Science is not, you know, cemented in stone and uh, go go after it. If you believe in it, go after it. But anyway, so bottom line, Brian, we know now with autism and the increased risk of autism, it's directly related with a hazard ratio of like four or five obesity, diabetes, maternal age, paternal age. All of these increase the risk of autism in the offspring. Wow. Yeah, sorry. Brian's like, why did I even bring this up? Now I got No, no, because I think we have to keep an open-minded look and say, okay, it's happening. We got to figure it out. The problem is people are in denial and they won't say it's happening. And we can't find the cause until we say, okay, there's a problem. Let's start looking at it. You know, so I think there's been, we've seen a lot of that in recent months. And so, you know, I I think we all come back to the same thing. You go, okay, let's look at this metabolic health thing. And if if we can get you exercising, get you sleeping better, not hating the world, not being a jerk to everyone, it makes a difference in the long run. I'll I'll give you guys a a little crazy thing. I I was in Guatemala for, you know, 11 days on a uh, uh, medical trip and we chilled. We had a good time. I'm there and like my team was eating three times a day. I never eat three times a day, one meal a day generally. Uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm with the team. I'm going to be social. So every once in a while, I'll have a tortilla and a glass of wine with these guys. And, you know, so I come back, I lose four pounds. I'm like, how can that possibly be? I eat three <laughs> times as much as I ever do, ever. It doesn't make any sense at all. But I, it really does confirm more what I'm seeing with people when they're in a, this oxytocin, when you're doing nice things for people and you're getting hugs from people and you're spending time and you have community and you're laughing and doing dumb stuff and wasting time. There's a lot of value to that. And a lot of us miss out, especially in the Western medicine world. And and we we forget about that. We don't talk about like, how's life? Like Tro was saying right at the onset, because you could ask someone, how's things going? They're struggling. Well, what's going on at home? Boom, right? You open the can of worms and there's a lot going on. So, you know, and, and so it's so important getting back to the exercise part of it with you, Casey, is that when people exercise, their stress level gets better. Their stress level gets better, they, they're less likely to stress eat. They know that they're on the right path. And I think the people we really like that have been on my heart that we really need to reach is someone who's 400, 500 pounds, you know, that they're at home, they feel embarrassed to go to the gym, well, they don't know how to use the equipment, they think people are going to stare at them. So having a guy like you who could say, hey, look, let's just do it remotely. You don't have to go in right now. Or how do you start with that person? You know, because some people are on, you got to do box jumps and you got to, it's like, well, they're 450 pounds. It's not that easy. They're going to hurt themselves. So how do you approach someone like that? Who's really at the beginning of their journey? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I totally agree with what we were talking about earlier. If you'd have asked me, I would say as recently as like two or three years ago, if exercise was primarily beneficial for mental health, I would have said, absolutely not. Exercise is better for your physical appearance. And I don't feel that way anymore. I think any kind of movement is so good for our brain so much more than it is for our physical bodies. And it's cool that it can benefit both. If I'm working with somebody who feels intimidated by the gym, again, if you go back three years and ask me like, do you need a gym to be really healthy? I would say, absolutely. You would, you need different types of equipment. You need to do different kinds of box jumps. You need to challenge yourself and get all sweaty and, you know, maybe CrossFit style workouts. Or, you know, I used to train people in what we called functional exercise, which is something that Tro brought up earlier, which is like, you know, I'm a hockey player. So if I were training me, I would go to a gym and do moves 
that looked like hockey, but be in the gym. So maybe I jump back and forth like I was skating, or maybe I'd swing a weighted stick in a certain way. And, you know, it was the work by Dr. Doug McGuff in his fantastic book, Body by Science, that really changed my mind about all of that. It made me realize that hockey is hockey. If I'm not on the ice with my teammates against another team, we're all talking smack and skating and passing and doing it in the context of hockey. It's not really hockey. Like we should be using exercise as a way to make ourselves stronger and then use the rest of the time to go do whatever other activities that you enjoy. And so now, especially post pandemic, like I said earlier, a $30 set of bands from Amazon will give you all the resistance you need for any exercise that you want to do. We can train you remotely. You don't even have to get out of your pajamas and we can do some very, very simple exercises. Simple does not mean easy, right? Like you can still challenge yourself. You can still push yourself, whatever level that is, but simple can be very simple. It doesn't have to be this exotic crazy plan that's going to be prone to injuring people. You can do it very safely. You can do it outside. You can do it in your home. And yeah, case in point, we interviewed a woman um, named Julie Sipes. She is a resident at um, a Paradise for Parents, which is a an assisted facility system in Arizona run by Hal Cranmer, who realized that his, his residents were not becoming very healthy. And so he eventually landed on ketogenic and carnivore diets He's in assisted living facilities, putting people on carnivore style diets if they want to eat that way. You should see these people. They're healing. They're walking where they couldn't walk before. They're happy. They're energetic. They sing and dance and all kinds of stuff. And this woman, Julie, came into this facility in her 40s. She had been in assisted living for, I think it was about nine years. So she entered assisted living at 650 pounds. Okay. You need special equipment to move people when you are that size. It was very, very challenging in, in her original assisted facility living. She was able to lose hundred pounds in the nine years that she was living there. But when she had a chance to transfer, she transferred into one of Hal's facility and Hal started to get his, you know, assistants and nutritionists to get her on a carnivore style diet. And she, Hal hired her a personal trainer who trained her remotely using bands. Essentially it was like an X3 bar, which is, just a bar with a band. They did it virtually. He didn't even live in the same state as her. She has lost last time I checked over 150 pounds. Um, this was several months ago. She, she literally entered the facility 550 pounds in October of 2020. When I talked to her last, it was 375. 375 pounds. She's lost again. It was like 150, 175 pounds. She's continued to lose weight. She's walking where she couldn't walk. She's planning her summer and leaving that facility. And she wants to go travel around with her support teddy bear. The, the, the two of them want to go have like an amazing summer. want to go on hikes and she wants to swim again. And she can walk now to the end of the street and back. Talk about somebody in the most depressing situation with no hope, no chance. You are already morbidly obese. You can't do anything in your early 40s. She's turned her life around. It is the coolest story. It's amazing. All of these people in these assisted care facilities, all the employees are now really happy. Most of them are doing low carb and carnivore and noticing the benefit. Like, it's yeah, we got never... a man that was on your podcast. Uh, yes, you yeah, have, we have to, to listen. Yeah, I, connect I, us. I talked to, awesome. I've talked to the director there. He's in Arizona, by the way, Brian. You should reach well, out. People are just do better because they're happier in Arizona, I think. <laughs> no, he's a nice guy. I they're allowed to eat meat there, Citro. You can't do that in New York. You know what? Believe it or not, we talked about they need 
medical director, I, it just didn't work out that, that I could do help them out in the way that they were looking for. But you should talk to them, Brian. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk to them for sure. Yeah, you know, you you're right there. Maybe a maybe a perfect fit for you. Yeah, I would love to talk to them. That would be awesome because that's I've really thought, gosh darn it, if we could help the seniors, we're talking about dementia, Parkinson's, you know, inability to take care for yourself. If you can just get someone like you in there, get them exercising and get their diet right, it is astounding what we can do. You want to see miracles? That's where it's going to happen in the seniors because, you know, if you could, instead of drinking milkshakes, give them a keto child milkshake or a health code or something like that, change it up what we're doing and see, you know, what we can do. Because when people have dementia, if, if we can catch it early and, and really slow the pr- progress, man, it will save the system too. And plus just, you know, being able to see their great grandkids or grandkids and have fun and enjoy life a little bit. But yeah, Julie Sipes, we want you. <laughs> we want you to come on. Casey, She's amazing. Casey, this has been freaking awesome. Wait, throw, I'm so wait, happy. Let me say one yeah. more thing, man, before we go. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because what Casey said, he said post-pandemic, and then he said hope and all that. So I remember on this podcast when I said, hey, guys, that it was in like May or June of 20. I said, keep the faith, keep the hope. Things will get better. There'll be a better day. And people attacked me. It'll never be better. This is our life from now on. So I can proudly say I was correct. You can look around you. Life's gotten a heck of a lot better. And when I hear post-pandemic, I feel a lot happier. So anyways, yeah, life goes on. We go through hard times and just keep plugging along. If you're struggling now, just just one foot in front of the other. You know, I, I just have a, a kid in my practice, Tro. Man, it's amazing. I almost didn't take him as a patient because he was too much of a challenge. He was over 500 pounds. Now he's like 268 and he's jogging. <laughs> you go, oh my nice. gosh. The guy couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't walk it. He just said one day at a time, one day at a time, patiently does it. Now he's the heaviest lifter at the, at the gym and he's doing some great stuff. But you know, when you're, what, that's what I'm talking about when we're totally hopeless. You got to bring him on. You got to bring him on, Brian. You got to drag him on. He's very shy and quiet. That's I'm trying to get him out of his shell. He's he's getting there though, but man, he looks, I saw my, we were, did a zoom meeting. I was like, Holy cow, man, you look fantastic. So he's been implementing intermittent fasting and just changing things. And, and he's been persistent. Yeah. We'll get him on for sure to tell his story. Cause it's pretty amazing. But anyway, maybe we can get on the boundless body radio. I think about it working out well. with Casey, how he'd be doing, yeah. man. Yeah. I'm definitely going to poach him for sure. Casey. So get give us the, uh, how, how do people, people are going to want to know how they get you, how they're going to train with you, how they find you, how do they listen to your podcast? How are they going to get you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and thank you so much for this opportunity. I love, I love the podcast. I've listened to Low Carb MD and uh, Life's Best Medicine for a very long time. If you want to talk about stories of hope, like Brian, you do such an amazing job on that podcast and hosting people like um, David Dana, who you hosted, um, was absolutely wonderful and to hear their stories. And again, you're just, there's always hope. You, it's never too late. It's never too far gone. There's always something that you can do, even if it's walking to your mailbox to get started. That's a that's fine. That's a good way to start. Um, yeah, so we're fortunate we get to work with people in all kinds of different capacities. We do train people virtually. We train people in person here in the Salt Lake City Valley. Um, the best way to get a hold of us is to go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. Um, that's a really nice hub that you can find anything um, from us. You can get my phone number. You can get my email address. All of our social media stuff is there. Um, you can also find the podcast there. We publish to all the major platforms and also YouTube. We do releases every th- every two days. So we release Monday, wow. Wednesday, and Friday. Um, and sometimes we'll do a bonus episode on a Sunday if we have some extra content that we want to put out there. Um, and that's called uh, Boundless Body Radio. It's been just an absolute joy to 
speak to some of the people in this space, whether they are experts, scientists, researchers, doctors like you guys, or they're just everyday people like Julie that just have amazing stories to tell that can hopefully share that message of hope. Because I think we've learned from this conversation that change is not going to come from the top down, at least anytime soon. And so all of us have our responsibility to keep getting this message out, whether you're doing the work that you guys are doing with your patients and with your podcast, the work I'm doing, you know, training a few people, personal training and working with people with their nutrition, or, you know, if somebody's listening, like you're part of this too, you've got a responsibility to share this with whoever it is, even if it's just your family and we can make change for sure. And it might not be everybody and it might not be that fast (laughs) that we want it to be, but everybody has a role in this and it's, it's so cool and inspiring to see this work unfold. So um, yeah, again, the best place to find us and chat with us um, is at myboundlessbody.com. We also always offer a free 30-minute consultation with anybody, even if they just want to chat or say hi, or they want to talk about their plan. We're just so thrilled to be able to meet people from all over the world, really, and and help them, um, you know, with their, with their plan and finally get them to their goals. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. On the way out, do you have any big tips, anything you go, okay, here, here's some like important stuff. Like, work out this many days a week or work out fasted or not fasted or zone two versus weights, things like that. Anything that you go, yeah, this has been my golden ticket for the most part for what you're, what you're experiencing with clients. Uh, good, good question. It's like an um, hour long. You know, focus on just really quick. Just, just in a bullet. Know. Bro. It's like- <laughs> Relax, man. <laughs> All right. Let me get my notebook wait. out. Yeah. Uh, listen, no. <laughs> Casey, can you tell us your life story and your wife's life story actually after that? Yeah. Would you mind that? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So it all started in Bismarck. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You know, I think if people focus on consuming plenty of animal proteins and fats and they find engaging ways to move, I would just start there. Um, That would probably get you 80% of the way there. Don't overcomplicate it. Just start there. Focus on animal proteins and fats and let the carbohydrates fall to wherever they go and find fun ways to move. Great advice. The best exercise is the one you'll do. You know, if you enjoy it and you're having fun and if you can do community, that's awesome too. You know, That's pickleball right. yep. for old guys like me, whatever it is, Tro. So All right, fun. Guys. All right. Have a good one. Casey, thank awesome. you Casey, so thanks much. Casey, thanks so much. Awesome. Dr. Lenskids, always a pleasure to be on with you, man. I'm always uh, always excited about these. And thank you to the Patreon supporters who Brian always forgets uh, to – Brian always remembers and I forget to thank. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. Yeah, thank you for coming in. I don't see any questions, so great. And Casey, awesome, man. Have a great weekend, everyone. This is good stuff. So thank you again so very much for listening to this bonus episode of my recent appearance on the Low Carb MD podcast with Dr. Brian Lenskis and Dr. Tro Kalajian. Like I said in the intro, um, I'm just, it was such an honor. I was so humbled to be hosted on this show. It was a really wonderful opportunity and hope you really enjoyed that conversation. As always, go check them out. Go give them a follow either on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts. They do great content. A new episode comes out every single week and it's always awesome. I try not to miss a single episode. So follow them. And as always, if you haven't already, give us a rating review on Apple reviews. Um, it really helps to get this word out. It's been so fun to do this project. I just never would have imagined. We actually just crossed 320,000 total downloads. Um, it's just really amazing. I just never thought, you know, a few years ago when we started this, that we could reach so many people out there. We really hope this is helping you as always. You can always go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com, And you can book a free 30 minute chat with, with me at any time. Um, we've had more people take us up on that recently. And I've got to meet a lot of you out there. Um, and you're just 
just wonderful people and I'm so grateful for all of you. So thank you again for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio.